Welcome to Menlo Church, and thank you so much for joining us today. We're so glad that you're tuning in to Menlo Church Online. We at Menlo believe that everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and anything's possible. Enjoy the, today's message. Well, good morning and happy new year. It's uh, always a joy to be with you. And before we get into the message, how about the 49ers? Okay, I was expecting a little bit more. This is gonna be a hard sermon, tough crowd. If you're not a sports fan, uh, the 49ers are a football team that put a smile on God's face. And uh, if you wanna experience the joy of the Lord next Sunday, they will be playing again, unlike many of the other teams in the NFL. Uh, well, it's good to be with you, and I'm so glad we're starting off the year looking at some of the teachings of Jesus uh, in what we call the parables. Uh, last weekend, as we just alluded to, Adam Hendricks started the series, and he uh, explained to us the parable of the great banquet. Um, and if you uh, weren't here last weekend, or if you missed that message, I want to encourage you to go online and to check that out, because it was a really encouraging talk. It reminded us that uh, there is a, a table that Jesus has prepared, and there is a place for you at his table that he wants you to be at his feast, to experience life with him, to be in relationship and communion with him. And here's the best part of it. Uh, it's not an exclusive event. It's not limited seating. Uh, it's a table and a feast that Jesus welcomes anyone and everyone to. And we are all a part of that invitation. This weekend, we're gonna look at a story that for centuries has been called the prodigal son. It's a very familiar story about a son who receives his inheritance from a father he goes and squanders everything only to return home to a gracious, kind father. We know this story so well, sometimes it's hard to think about it or read it again in a fresh way, or we think we know everything there is to know about it. Um, and it's an important story. Um, it's a story, though, that's not just about one son. The, prodigal would the, 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 the title would suggest that once the lost son comes home, all would be well, everyone would live happily ever after, the end. But it's only the first half of the story. There's another son in the story. There are two brothers in this story. This morning, can I see a quick show of hands? How many of you are an older sibling? Can I see your hands? We have older siblings, right? How many of you are a younger sibling? Let's see those hands, right? Okay, how many of you are a younger sibling, but you're more responsible than your older sibling? Let's see a show of hands, right? And if you kept your hands raised the whole time, you're probably a middle child or an only child, right? And you get the best of both worlds, and we love you too. Over the holidays, uh, my family went to the East Coast to visit my family, my parents, my brother. And on the first morning uh, over breakfast, as I was catching up with my younger brother, I just went into default older brother mode. Do you know what that is? It's when you tell him uh, everything you know about life as if he knows nothing about life. And so he's telling me about work and family and this trip that they're planning. And I just went into this like default mode of telling him, well, this is how you could do your job better. Uh, this is how you can treat your wife better. This is how you can raise your kids. This is what you should do on vacation. And I just started giving him advice, and I was pouring it on him. And then later, my wife just lovingly and gently nudged me and says, hey, um, I overheard your conversation with your brother. Do you think he might appreciate you hearing, him hearing from you that he's just doing a good job 
instead of telling him how to do a better job. And that was like a dagger to the heart. Oh, she was so right. And by the way, side note, she is a younger sibling. So she knows that (laughs) dynamic all too well. But this parable about the prodigal son is really a story about two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother. And to only focus on the journey of the younger brother would be to miss half the story. And so this morning, I want us to look at the full story together, and I want to suggest that it wasn't just the younger brother who was lost in the story. I don't know if you've ever read it this way or thought about it this way, but I want to suggest this morning that also it was the older brother who was lost and estranged from his father. And so to understand the context of this story, we've got to remember who Jesus was talking to, who was sitting in his audience that day when he told this story. And Luke tells us at the beginning of chapter 15, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Right there at the beginning, uh, Luke identifies that the people that were listening to Jesus tell this parable, it was a diverse group of people. On one side, you had the sinners and the tax collectors. And let's just call them the outsiders. They're the misfits, the outcasts, they're immoral, they're irreligious, they would never darken the door of a church, they don't go to Bible study, they've never given anything for anyone, they're selfish and they're, uh, they're idealistic and they just do life their own way. And then you've got this other category of people, the, uh, let's call them the insiders. These are the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Uh, they're the ones that have membership to the temple. They've got the secret handshake. They're part of the holy huddle. They go to church every single week without missing a weekend. They tithe, they go to Bible study, they serve, they volunteer. They do everything a model Christian would do. You've got this crowd over here, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and then you've got the sinners and the tax collectors. And these are all the people that Jesus is speaking to and sharing the story with. Now, if the only people sitting in front of Jesus were the sinners and the tax collectors, the outsiders, then the first half of this story would be more than enough to express his point about the father's heart. That if you're a lost son, come home because your father loves you. But then Jesus would be ignoring the other half of his audience. And so to them, he portrays this older brother, this other son, the one who stays home and works for the family and is responsible. And Jesus does this because he wants his audience to compare and contrast the two brothers and see where they find themselves in this story. And so Jesus begins to tell the story like this. There was a man who had two sons. The older one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country and sent, and who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. 
Now the younger son, what he does here is he asks his father for his share of the estate. And it's easy to miss this, but Jesus' original audience would have been completely shocked by a request like this. You see, to receive his share of the estate would only happen after the father died. When the father passed away, his uh, property would be divided between his children, and here, in this case, his two sons. But to ask for his share of the estate while the father is still alive would be a sign of deep disrespect, but even more, worse than that, it would be utter rejection from the family. In other words, the younger son would be saying, you know, I'm done with this family. I don't want to be a part of you anymore. I'm going off on my own. And by the way, give me what's mine. And Jesus' original listeners would be completely shocked that this young son is making this request. But here is the more shocking thing. The father grants the request. You see, the listeners here would not have known a single father, would not have heard of an incident where a father would have responded in this way. Any other father would have driven this son out of the family, would have disciplined him and reprimanded him, and would have cut himself off. He would have cut the son off from the family, but instead, this father responds by granting the request of the younger son. So this son goes off with this inheritance, and he recklessly squanders all of it. He hits rock bottom, and if things couldn't get any worse, a famine hits the land. So not only does he have nothing left, and he's wasted everything, but the people in the country that he's in have absolutely nothing. And people tell us that, uh, scholars will tell us that in ancient times, or just even 100 years ago, just 100 years ago, if a famine hit any part of the world, easily a million people could die of starvation. So imagine what, it would, what kind of impact and toll a famine would take 2,000 years ago as Jesus is telling this story. And there's a son who's lost everything and now he's in a country that has absolutely nothing. So he remembers, you know, back home, my dad's servants, they've got more than enough. Maybe I can go back there and I know I won't be welcome to the family, so maybe I can ask for a job and be hired back into the family so that I can earn my keep. That's what I'll do. So he comes up with a plan and he decides to go back home. And this is what happens. Jesus says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Now, this story is not going the way anyone would have expected. The son is heading home and he's broken and contrite. He's got this scripted apology in his pocket. He's ready to come back to the dad and beg for mercy. And instead, what happens is the father sees him a far away off. It's like he's standing at the end of the driveway and he sees his son coming in. And his immediate reaction is to be filled with compassion. He runs out to his son, he embraces him, and then he kisses his son. Meanwhile, the son is trying to explain himself. Dad, 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 hold on a second, hold on a second. Let me explain myself. I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm just looking for a job. You're giving me more. And, but the father is 
is, is ignoring everything the son is saying. And then the response of the father is what is incredible here. He says, quick, go get the best robe and put it on him. Now the best robe would have been his own robe, the father's robe. It would have been the most important piece of clothing in the family that signifies the patriarch. The father was saying, go get that robe, the best robe, and put it on my son. And then he says, put a ring on his finger. And the ring would symbolize a reunion to the family. It was the family ring, a symbol that he belonged in this home, in this family. And then to put sandals on his feet, to put shoes on his feet, this was something that only a master would experience. Uh, A servant would come and put shoes on the feet of the master. And so this son comes home expecting to be a servant, to work his way uh, and earn his keep, and yet now he's being treated like a master. Put sandals on his feet, a ring on his finger, and put the best robe around him. And then the father says, go kill the fattened calf. Now, for this family to have a fattened calf meant that it was saving this particular calf for a big party, a big celebration. Meat wasn't something that people had every day, and so this was something that would be saved for a very special treat, and the fattened calf would be able to not just feed the family, but the entire community for days on end. It was for a week-long celebration. And the father asks for the fattened calf to be killed and brought to start the party. You know, the only thing I could compare this to maybe is uh, if your family uh, had a vintage bottle of wine, let's say it was worth $1,000, right? I don't know what that would taste like. I imagine it would taste like heaven, right? But let's say your family has this $1,000 bottle of wine and, and your father is saving this for a big milestone, maybe a big anniversary or a big birthday or maybe the birth of a child or a grandchild. And so you're storing this up and you're waiting to, to open it on the most special of occasions, but your son comes home and tells you he's wrecked the car. Do you reach for the bottle? You know, your daughter comes home and says she's flunked out of school and she gives up on education. Do you reach for the bottle? And that's precisely what the father is doing here. The son comes home and he's saying, Dad, I messed up. I messed up. And the father says, kill the fattened calf. We call this the parable of the prodigal son, but it's, Easy to assume we understand what the word prodigal means. The word prodigal actually means recklessly extravagant, having spent everything. We call the younger son the prodigal son because he was recklessly extravagant with his inheritance. But notice now, who is the one who's being recklessly extravagant? Who is the one spending everything he has to show compassion, grace, and forgiveness? to welcome and celebrate the fact that his lost son is now home. It's the father. Even though the son had lost everything, now it's the father's turn to pour everything he has left back upon this son who's come home. And what this tells us is that his acceptance is not contingent upon an apology, and there's nothing this younger son can do to earn it back or to deserve it. The father simply gives it as a gift. It's free. It's his The story doesn't end there. Sometimes we stop there, but there's more to the story. There's a second part. Remember, this man had two sons. So Jesus goes on to tell us, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because 
he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. He said, but, but he answered his father, look, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And now everybody who's listening is on the edge of their seats They're wondering what happens next. Is the family going to be reunited? Are the two brothers going to reconcile and make up? And while all these thoughts are passing through their minds, Jesus stops talking. That's the end of the story. He uses the art of the cliffhanger. He keeps people wondering, what? You can't stop there. What's next? What's more? What's the next chapter? And this is showing us Jesus's Genius ability to tell a story and create attention so that his listeners have to listen, listen in and process and go to that deeper place, that deeper spiritual truth that he's trying to reveal to them. And what Jesus is doing in this story, he's completely redefining the categories that people have. Their understanding of what it means to have a relationship with the Father. He's shattering their categories about who's good and who's lost, who's right and who's wrong. What does it take to be welcomed back? What does love look like? And Jesus has people on the edge of their seats. The older brother comes home, and rightfully so, he is furious. He is upset. He hears that a party is going on for his younger, irresponsible son who went out and squandered his inheritance. And so now it's the older brother's turn to disgrace the father. And the way he does that is by refusing to enter into the house and not joining in the celebration. Remember, this is the father's party. He's hosting a party for his son who's now come home. And everyone is invited, the entire community. But his older son is the one who refuses to accept the invitation. So he is now disgracing the father. And the father comes out yet again to try to retrieve his older son and and have him come back into the house. But listen to the way the older son responds. He says, look, I don't know about you, but I've never talked to my dad that way. (laughs) Had I, if I ever talked to my dad that way, I wouldn't be alive today. He would kill me, murder me. But he says, look, all these years, I've slaved for you. I've done everything you've commanded me to do. I've obeyed you completely. And yet never once, did you offer me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends? Now he uses the term goat instead of fattened calf because commentators will tell you that a goat was worth about one-tenth the value of a fattened calf. And so the older brother, he's not only upset and furious, but now he's being sarcastic. And he's speaking to his own father in a very disrespectful, demeaning way. Look, you've never even acknowledged my righteousness and my goodness. This is the way he responds to the older son. The father says, rather than fighting fire with fire, he responds again with extravagant grace. He says to his older son, look, 
you have always been with me. And here's the thing, everything I have is yours. It's always been yours. You see, the father is telling the older son who was upset now that he's spending his resources on his younger son, this is all yours too. It's always been yours. You see, at this point in the story, what we have to realize is that both sons are lost and separated from the father. The younger son was lost because of his bad behavior, his immorality, he lost everything. But the older son, he's lost too. He's separated by his good behavior, by his self-righteousness, by his moral fortitude. He thinks somehow now that he deserves more favor and more grace and more love than the other brother. You see, the older brother is lost in his own self-righteousness. They both think the father is keeping track, that there's some kind of a scorecard or report card. The younger son thinks he's flunking out and he's gonna get expelled from the family. The older son thinks he's making straight A's and he, ad- he deserves a reward or some kind of acknowledgement. They both think that the way the father thinks about them is based on their behavior, is based on their actions, what they do and what they've done. And essentially what the father is saying is, wait, did you think all this time your good deeds were earning you something? Did you not know that everything was already yours? You've misunderstood me just as much as the younger son. You have been lost in your own goodness. And as Jesus tells parables like this, it's got all kinds of edges because now remember, who is the audience? Who are the people that are listening to Jesus? It's provocative, it's shocking, it's got all these edges to it and different people now are feeling uncomfortable. Who is he talking to? Is he talking to the lost crowd or the found crowd, the insiders or the outsiders? And Jesus is inviting you into the story to find who you are and where you stand with the Father. So here's the question I wanna ask you today. Which son are you? Where do you find yourself in the story? Are you the one who's always been good? You've always always played by the rules. You've never strayed from the path. God owes you. Or maybe you're the prodigal and you've strayed and you've come back and you've strayed and you've come back and you're ashamed of what you've done and where you've been and you hope nobody ever knows. Because oftentimes when we study this parable and we read it, we just assume that we're all the younger son but oftentimes churches like ours are actually filled with the older son. The description of the older brother is me to a T. I have tried to please my father and God to the best of my ability. And yeah, there are times when I look down my nose at others and say, look at the way they're living their lives. And I fall into the trap and the lostness of the older brother. Or maybe here's another question I wanna ask you to think about. What do you think God thinks when God thinks about you? What do you think God thinks when God thinks about you? That's an important question because what you think God thinks about you will impact what you think about God. If you think God looks at you and he's angry and he's upset, you're gonna assume that God is uptight, strict, and unreasonable. God is unreasonable, he's mad at me. If you think God doesn't care about what you're going through in life, that he doesn't care about your burden or your struggle or your challenges, 
you're gonna look at God and you're just gonna think that God is distant and aloof and impersonal. And I can never have a relationship with a God like that. If you think God is keeping track of your good deeds and he's putting a, a star on the sticker chart every time you go to church, every time you put an offering in the basket, if you think God is keeping track, then you're gonna think that God owes you something, that you deserve more, health and wealth and prosperity. And that's wrong too. You see, at an early age, we've all come to understand that our behavior matters to others. The way, be, the way we behave affects the way people think about us. We know that good behavior leads to relational success. Good behavior means that you'll be invited and approved and accepted, whereas bad behavior means you'll be rejected and isolated. And this starts at a very young age. When you start off as a kid in the playground, you show up and you wonder, will the other kids like me? Will they accept me? What do I have to do to get their acceptance? And then that follows us in school. We know, we learn very quickly that good grades, good grades mean a pat on the back, an affirmation. Your parents will be proud of you. And then we know if we have good grades and the right scores, we'll get into the right schools. And if we get into the right schools, we'll be offered the right jobs. And if we get the right job or the best job, we'll have a nice life and a career. And on and on and on, we realize that this culture that we're a part of is built on performance and approval. And so it's easy for us to project this system on God and to think if I behave the right way, God will love me. He will accept me and he will bless me. And if I behave the wrong way, he'll reject me. He won't be proud of me. He'll be mad at me. You see, we take the way the world works, the economy of the world, and we put that on God. But what if God works a different way? What if his value system is upside down and inside out? What if the way God thinks about you has nothing to do with what you do? What if the way that God thinks about you has nothing to do with your behavior? I'm gonna tell you what God thinks about you because the Bible tells us God loves you and that he has given you everything, his only son, to love you and that if you receive him, you would be invited into his home and to his party. All you have to do is to accept and to receive his love and there is nothing you can do to earn this love and there is nothing you can do to lose this love. Because God doesn't try to love us, God is love. That's who he is. And our only response is to simply accept it and welcome it into our lives. And our performance and our behavior actually has nothing to do with the way he thinks about you. A few weeks ago, I uh, went to see my optometrist for my annual eye exam. Uh, I will admit to you these days, when I go to a restaurant that is dimly lit, I'm one of those people who pulls out my phone and turns on the flashlight to read the menu. Um, when I look at instructions on the side of something, I've gotta do one of these, and I'm just, I'm admitting to you, I'm just getting older. My eyes are starting to fail me. So I went to see my optometrist, and I was explaining this condition, and he said, I think it's time to try progressives. And he told me two things. He said, first of all, Eugene, swallow your pride. You're just getting older. Your eyes don't work the way they used to. And then he said, secondly, try these progressive lenses, put them on for a week, and then tell me if you like them and we'll order some more. So I took these contacts home. The next morning, I was trying to put them on, getting ready for work, and one of the contacts slipped off my finger. Have you ever lost a contact? 
It's one of the most frustrating things because they're really small, they're invisible, they're translucent, right? And uh, you're trying to see something that you can't see because that which what you're looking for is what's supposed to help you see, right? <laughs> and so I dropped this contact, and ordinarily I'd say, oh, you know, I've got a box of contacts, I can just, whatever, I can let this go, but this was the only set I had. I was trying out these progressive lenses, and I didn't have a backup pair. And so I'm looking everywhere. I'm looking all over the counter. I take out my phone and turn on my flashlight. I can't see. I look down on the floor. I'm on all fours. I'm, you know, looking to see where did it fall? Where could it have been? Nothing. I can't find my contact anywhere. And then I think, oh, what if it fell down my shirt? So I take off my shirt and I'm looking and I pull my shirt inside out to see if it's stuck on the inside of my shirt. And I'm going to great lengths. And just as I'm about to give up looking for my contact, I look into the mirror and it's right there. It fell off my finger and landed on the mirror and it was just stuck there. <laughs> Have you ever lost something, like a set of keys or a wallet or a phone, right? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't, but maybe you know somebody, you've seen somebody who's looking for their keys or their phone frantically. What are they doing? They're panicking. They're scared. They're intense. Life cannot go back to normal until they have found the thing that they've lost. If we zoom out of Luke 15 a little bit more, not only just seeing the audience that Jesus was talking to, what you'll find in this chapter is not only the parable of the prodigal son, but Jesus also gives us the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. And in the parable of the lost sheep, it's a shepherd who has 100 sheep and loses one, and he leaves the 99 to go find the one. And in the parable of the lost coin, there's a woman who has 10 coins. She loses one coin. She flips her house upside down and inside out. And when she finds the coin, she is so overjoyed, she throws a party. And if you think about the behavior of the shepherd and the woman, they're recklessly extravagant in their energy, in their passion, in their pursuit to find that which was lost. But the sheep and the coin feel nothing. They can do nothing. They don't even know they're lost. They're lost in their lostness. And in all three parables, we are the lost ones. And there is nothing we can do to find our way back to the Father. It is God's love and his invitation. And this weekend, if you're an older brother, you're probably wondering, what's the application? What do I have to do, right? And maybe this weekend, if you're a younger brother, you're probably thinking, so I don't have to do anything? Like, is it just free? And if you want to know the answer to that, you're going to have to come back next week. <laughs> we have called this story the parable of the prodigal son, but I wonder if we should call it the parable of the prodigal father. The father who recklessly and extravagantly loves his children, who will spend everything he has to find those who are lost, to welcome them home, to invite them to the table, to have a relationship, no matter what you've done, where you've been, good behavior or bad behavior. God loves you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you this weekend for the important reminder of your radical love, a love that we cannot earn, a love that we do not deserve. And yet it is your nature, it is in your nature to show grace and compassion and love, and God, whether we're in the insider category or the outsider category, we know you love all of us. 
and that wherever we stand on the spectrum, we can find ourselves lost in our own way, seeking approval because of our behavior or the things that we do, or feeling like we don't deserve anything because of where we've been. And yet you are the compassionate, merciful, loving Father who waits for us, who is compassionate and patient and longs to be in relationship. And so Father, this weekend we just, we come into your love and we open our hearts to it. And would you enter into every space, every crevice of who we are, reminding us of your goodness reminding us of your faithfulness. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks so much for tuning in with us today. We hope you feel inspired, maybe even challenged by what you heard in the message today. Maybe figure out how you might want to apply that to your life this week. Please join us again and follow us on social media to find out all the latest happenings here at Menlo Church. We'll see you next time.